0: Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's Thursday, July the 28th, 2022. Yesterday, a really interesting show a really fun show with a very popular new writer in the united states erica l sanchez who writes about growing up as the daughter of an immigrant a mexican immigrant family um, in chicago the ups and downs particularly the downs she has a new book out crying in the bathroom a memoir some of you will also be familiar with her best-selling book I am not your perfect Mexican daughter. One of the things we talked about in our conversation yesterday was um, her rebellion against her Mexican family. She rejected Roman Catholicism, the religion of her family, and embraced Hinduism, which, of course, in geographical and cultural terms, seems to me to be quite far from Roman Catholicism. That got me thinking about Hinduism. I have to admit it's not something I know a great deal about. The subject of our conversation today is not Hinduism, but uh, Sikhism. And Hinduism and Sikhism are kind of connected in some ways, certainly in their association with Indian religions. Um, Our conversation today is indeed, as I said, about Sikh wisdom, Sikh religion, Its author is Simran Jeek Singh. He has a new book out, The Light Light We Give How Sikh Wisdom Can Transform Your Life. And um, Simran is joining us from New York City today. Simran, um, I'm not quite sure why I I talked about Hinduism, because Hinduism isn't Sikhism. But perhaps as an introduction to Sikhism, you might also say something about Hinduism and, and how. And why, if at all, they're actually connected?
1: Yeah, sure. Well, you know, um, Hinduism is the predominant religion uh, in the South Asian context, uh, particularly in India. And uh, this is the same region in which uh, Sikhism emerges in South Asia, um, although in many ways um, very, very distinct traditions. Uh, Hinduism uh, goes back thousands of years. Uh, it has its own Uh, texts and precepts and outlooks and worldviews and ceremonies. Um, And Sikhism is relatively young. It started about 500 years ago uh, when a young man named Nanak, who was actually born into a Hindu family, uh, looked at the world around him and saw the the suffering and the difficulty and the social hierarchies. uh, And he said, there has to be a different way. I mean, it, it was a time not much unlike today, uh, where we are seeing so many of the similar challenges that he saw back then. Uh, and he saw an opportunity and offered a vision for a world that was connected on the basis of, of oneness. His teaching was ikonkar, uh one that rejected all social hierarchies uh, and insisted that everyone comes from a, from a single light. Uh, and that, that was the basis of, of the religion that he founded.
0: You mentioned oneness, Simran. Um, In my conversation with Erica, she said that she embraced Hinduism because it wasn't a monotheistic faith. Does the oneness of Sikhism, does it reflect a monotheism? Is that a a useful word? Is it a a multi-God religion or perhaps is even the word God inappropriate when we talk about Sikhism?
1: Yeah, I try, I try and avoid the word God because at least for Western audiences, including myself growing up in this country, uh, it's so easy to have assumptions about what God means uh, and preconceived notions uh, that really, at least from, from the viewpoint of someone coming from another tradition uh, that might have an idea of what constitutes the divine uh, is very is very different from Christian and Jewish and Muslim notions. And, and in the Sikh tradition, uh, the teaching is that there is one divine force that that connects this entire universe, and and I found that to be really compelling. You know, there's there's no uh, there's no story of someone watching us from the outside and judging our daily actions. It's it's not really like that. the The, the teaching is more that we are all interconnected by this singular force. Uh, that everything is part of the same uh, universe, and and therefore. Uh, it's, it becomes really difficult to discriminate against who is good and who is bad, because everyone is essentially equal. And so, so this teaching, I think, has real beautiful social consequence, that if we come to see one another as being imbued with the same divine spirit, with the same light, uh, and, and we move away from this concept of discrimination, that, that some are better and some are worse, then we can perhaps move beyond uh, the hierarchies we have, the supremacies we create, and the constant judgment of I'm better than you because I come from this place or you come from that place. And I, I think that is, that's is—that's a vision for the world that that we can all get along with today.
0: Simran, I've had a number of these types of conversations both in a, uh, on and off the show about the value of religion. One could, of course, find... Um, a Christian theologian who would find these principles of love and equality and universality in Christianity. And in in contrast, one could also find some fairly intolerant Christian traditions, particularly in the world today. Um, Are there two sides or many sides to Sikhism? You're obviously... um, you're obviously presenting it, it, it's, its best side, but I assume that not all Sikhs are wise uh, and not all Sikhism promotes the kind of wisdom that you're presenting in your book.
1: Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's funny that you should say it that way because there, there are many Sikhs who would disagree with the way that I present uh, my viewpoint of the tradition. And, you know, I may be a scholar of the tradition and I may be someone who tries to live by its teachings, but ultimately, I'm just I'm just one person. And, and every tradition has its own uh, interpreters. And so so like with any religion and with any ideology, uh, you have a diversity of readings. People can read a tradition in any kind of way that they wish. And they do. And in many ways, uh, you know, religion is so often um Read in intolerant ways and exclusivist ways and in fundamentalist ways and and I don't think any religion is immune to that I, in in my own community, uh, we have those readings. Um, we have people who uh, sincerely believe that their viewpoint is the correct interpretation of Sikhism and and you or I couldn't convince them otherwise. Um, but what i what I'm trying to share here is is based on my own personal experience my my research in the tradition And, you know i have a, a phd from from columbia university on on this particular topic and so i mean it's 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 research as a historian but more than anything for me it is it is just a simple story of my life growing up in texas as a turban wearing sick and and finding real challenges and realizing that the answers to some of the biggest questions that i faced in my own life came from this well of sick wisdom that I think has a lot to offer our world today.
0: Yeah, you're certainly uh, quite an expert, uh, Simran. You run the religion and society program at the Aspen Institute, in addition to your academic duties. Um, I I do. the, the, The core of this wonderful new book, The Light We Give, is your personal story, your family's personal story of settling in Texas, but before we go there, I do want to return to India. That's where your family, of course, is from. We did, we've done a number of shows on India. One with the very distinguished Anglo-Indian historian William Dalrymple, the anarchy about British violent uh, British colonialism in, in India. But when Dalrymple was on the show, we also talked about um, violence, not just. Anglo-Indian violence, but violence between different religions. When one thinks of India, of course, one for non-experts like myself, one thinks of the division between Islam and Hinduism, which is, of course, continues today and manifests itself in many ways, including the tensions between Pakistan and India. How do the Sikhs fit into this? Are they the the third wheel here? Are they the the moderate force between the two. I've often heard that argument. Are you caught in the middle of this fight or is it independent of Sikhism and the Sikh experience?
1: Well, I, I think you know my, my view on it is that this it depends on the historical context. Um, and, and the tradition among Sikhs, and, and this I think will resonate for anyone coming from the margins of society, uh, the tradition of Sikhs is that as part of our religious conviction, uh, we see it as our responsibility to stand up against injustice. And so from the very beginning, about 550 years ago from the time of Guru Nanak, uh, he, he opposed uh, the empire. And at the time the emperor was a man named Babur and and Guru Nanak spoke out against him and acted against him. And that's a tradition that has continued over the years and over the centuries. And so depending on who is in power, um, the Sikh resistance against injustice had, has made us consistently uh, a target uh, for, for different types of political regimes. And In some cases that might be uh, Muslim majority, in some cases like today that might be Hindu majority. But what I should also say is there is actually a, a long history of, of Sikh rule as well in the South Asian context and, and self-sovereignty. And, and there were periods in which the Sikhs actually ruled over uh, the lands that they had majority, not just in Punjab, uh, but, but across South Asia. And so there's, there's a really interesting history that if, if one only looks at the current nation state boundaries, one would never know uh, that this is part of this unique community's tradition, uh, self-rule. Uh, sovereignty is is a really important part of our of our theology so and our daily
0: lives. And excuse the ignorance of these questions, uh, Simran. Are the vast majority of Sikhs, at least inside India, are they all in the Punjab, the uh, a region in the on the north west of India, bordering on Pakistan?
1: That's correct. The majority of the Sikhs come from the Punjab region. Uh, what you'll notice now, the map that you just showed is actually a sliver of the historic Punjab. Um, So in in 1947, Punjab was partitioned into two to divide Pakistan and India. And then in the decades since, uh, it's been divided twice more uh, by the Indian state uh, to create new states and territories. And so um, still today, most Sikhs live in the Punjab region around the world, there are about 30 million. Um, Sikhs in the world and uh, a majority of them live in the Punjab region of South Asia.
0: And, and of, the, of the 30 million, is that a growing or a shrinking community? Are there more Sikhs today than there were in 1947, 1948
1: on partition? It's, it's hard to tell. You know, one of, one of the um, interesting aspects of our tradition, you know, the, the teaching is uh, one can be of any religious background or faith and achieve enlightenment and and because of that teaching we haven't had a history of missionizing or proselytization and therefore we also have never really been so concerned about numbers um so so the best numbers we have is what we receive uh from elsewhere but um we're not really not really so aware of whether the the number is growing or or declining i mean the one other thing i can say here is that um a large majority of those who identify as Sikh are also uh, Punjabi by background. Um, you know, Again, going back to the conversion uh, perspective, uh, we don't have as many converts in different contexts in the way that other religions might. Um, and so a majority of them live in Punjab and are Punjabi, identify as Punjabi. Um, but we, we, I don't have personally much of an answer to whether the, the community is growing or shrinking at this point
0: well let's get on to the book it's a particularly interesting subject for me i and as you can tell i don't know that much about it which makes it particularly interesting in your book the light we give how seek wisdom can transform your life this is a very personal book in fact you 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 tweet uh at one point i found one of your tweets that um you're putting your your life's work into this book so it's particularly important for you and it reads beautifully um your parents show up, they leave Punjab and they show up in San Antonio, of all places. What, what year was this, uh, uh, Simran? it was 1976, I believe. What the hell were they thinking going to Texas, <laughs> of all places? <laughs> exactly. I mean, one off, of the stories that I shared-I was on a plane or something. <laughs> so that might
1: have been it, you know. Um, I, I shared quite different. The, I can't box, imagine anywhere
0: was... more different to the Punjab than San Antonio.
1: Well, this is this is what my father always says because he he received a job offer there and he had job offers elsewhere. And He said he visited San Antonio and it made him remember life in Punjab. And I would say what what seemed similar, and he said, well, it's uh, spicy food and and warm warm people who are welcoming uh, culturally um, warm and and he said that the weather was as hot as it is in India. So I think those three elements really made him feel like it was home and a good place to raise a family.
0: And a little bit of political complexity too, like India. We've done a number of shows on Texas. We did one with Brian Burrow on the Texas creation myth and the real story of the Alamo. He has a new book out, very controversial book, Forget the Alamo, that pissed off your governor in Texas, which is quite an achievement. So when you show up um, as Punjabis, as Sikhs in 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 um, in san antonio you're walking into a a similarly complex political i guess ideological racialized world is that fair
1: yeah absolutely and i think you know in some ways uh where we were in san antonio um you know people were were certainly ignorant in terms of understanding who we were or where we came from i mean they they just didn't know um, but the nature of of that particular city uh, is such that um, difference does not necessarily mean discrimination. And so it actually was I mean, in many ways, I faced discrimination and, and on a regular basis, you know, um, micro to macro, um, small issues to large. Um, but for the most part, you know, people would look at us and ask their questions and, and they would just be curious. And they would move on, and so certainly the the sort of experience of being so racially different uh, yeah. really really struck us from a young age.
0: Did people um, often? Also, sorry to, to interrupt. Did people often just assume you were Mexican? I mean, was that a, something that people often <laughs> mistook you for?
1: It's so funny that you ask because nobody nobody now thinks to ask that, especially here in New York, because prior to 9-11 especially, people just didn't know what to make of us. And San Antonio is uh, primarily Latino, majority Hispanic. And, and it was very common for people to just see our brown skin and our facial hair and to assume that we were Mexican. And, and also, I mean, I, I can't even remember the number of times uh, abuelas, grandmothers in, in grocery stores would get mad at me for not speaking enough Spanish. And I, their assumption was that I was that I was Mexican and that I should be preserving. And, and that actually
0: is interesting in the context of Erica Sanchez's interest in, in Hinduism and her rejection of um, Roman Catholicism. Your father was the first person, I think you say in your book, to wear a turban in San Antonio. And you note in the book that 9-11, which was a turning point for many Americans in, in lots of ways, was a particularly Dark turning point for you, because after nine eleven you experienced significantly more racism. What happened for you? And we have some photos of you both in your school and your family. Uh, what was it like growing up in in San Antonio after nine eleven?
1: well, i mentioned I mentioned the good parts, which i which I am very grateful for. and And I, what I would also say is uh, the racism that we had always experienced growing up really sharpened. Really escalated after 9 11. And the big shift, I think, was that we were no longer given the benefit of the doubt. Um, We would walk wherever we were with our turbans and our beards. I was 18 years old at the time. And immediately, I could tell that people were starting to see me as the enemy. I mean, they didn't know what to make of me still, but they thought they did. And their assumptions were that this guy. Is the one, or at least part of the group, who came after us, and so the racism. I mean, it became early and often. We had death threats starting that day. We knew people who were uh, attacked physically, people who were killed in hate crimes, um, and I can tell you. I mean, I my my story, my book is full of stories, um, little small anecdotes of what it was like, and there are many I didn't include. You know, one of one of the stories I was just talking to one of my roommates from college about was. Uh, immediately after 9-11, um, I guess it was it was the following year we were driving near our college um, and, and the officer pulled us over and we weren't speeding. His car was a very, very old Volkswagen, couldn't speed uh, past the speed limit. Uh, and the officer still insisted on running uh, our licenses and, and asking what we were doing in that part of town. So really these, I mean, when I look back in some ways, it almost feels like a different life. I mean, racism is very sharp today. Uh, but back then, being so young and not really knowing how to handle it and recognizing now what violent consequences could have been for me that I was lucky enough to avoid. I mean, it was it was uh, very eye-opening uh, growing up in that environment.
0: Yeah, you, you tweet, growing up in Texas, people often saw our ter- turbans and saw called us terrorists. It got worse after 9-11. How did 9-11 change your opinion of Islam in particular? Did it make you more resentful, angrier, or did it not change how you thought about Islam? You know, this is
1: this is might strike some people as um interesting or, or maybe even funny. Um, when people see me, at least the way that I look, they might assume that I had some uh feelings about Islam or some knowledge about it. I mean, growing up, I didn't know Muslims. I was like many Americans, right? Especially Uh, In South Texas, I didn't know Muslims. I didn't know much about Islam. I didn't really have an opinion about it. And so I I don't think I ever fell into the negative stereotypes um, that that we might get from anti-Muslim bias or Islamophobia. And I think that's because uh, I was so sensitive to how those uh, stereotypes affected me and my life.
0: What about your family? family. I mean, your family is from the Punjab on the border of India and Pakistan. They must have been very familiar with Islam. Um, Were there members of your family, perhaps, who might have been particularly angry with this outrage and associated it with a broader religion? Not
1: Not that I can recall. And I think, you know, I'm I'm fortunate to some regard. My parents are very open-minded and they've always taught us, you know, you don't judge people on the basis of you know, what others in their group might do. You, you judge people for who they are. And so I think they were also sensitive to that experience. And, and I think this, is, this goes back um, to, to basic teachings and in, in Sikh theology, uh, which, again, you know, you can be of any tradition. No one is good. No one is bad. Um, and, and no tradition is bad. And the Sikh gurus, the founders, had friends, very close friends who were Muslims, and they also battled with them when they were leading and perpetrating injustice. And so it, to me, it was a very, um, it it was a very complex moment for me in trying to understand who I was, but but what really changed uh, was that, although I didn't know Muslims at the time, I started feeling a kinship with people of other communities and faiths, because I knew that around the country they were going through something similar. Um, And so I started to understand that feeling and that turned into curiosity for me and i started studying religion and that's really what put me onto the trajectory of becoming a scholar of religion
0: uh seek wisdom you 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 you, in your website you talk about your belief and your book is in the business of disrupting bias building empathy seeking wisdom i mean this is the sort of stuff that i come across on a daily basis with guests on the show from every tradition it sounds like the kind of thing that might come out of the New York Times or San Francisco, where I live, what's the, the the particular seek angle on this? What are you bringing to this discussion that wasn't already there?
1: Yeah, well, you know, I'll, I'll share a couple of insights that I've learned along the way. One is um, when we talk about issues like racism in this country, so often it's presented as a black and white issue. And and part of what I mean by that is, is not just the skin color, but also the the people who are in the audience right either people are thinking I already know this story and I'm not part of the problem or they're thinking I'm feeling attacked and and I people think that I'm doing something wrong and and in either of those two cases nobody's listening nobody's interested the conversation is not going anywhere and so just by virtue of stepping in and saying I have a different story and let me let me share that story with you and take you on this journey of what my life is like. It opens people up uh, to a different kind of possibility. So I think that's that's one aspect of of what's unique uh, about this sixth story. It's just one uh, that at least in this country most people haven't heard before. And I think the the second piece of it for me is the the framework for the wisdom um, that I you know it's not my own wisdom, um, but it's it's one that I've received. Uh, from my parents and from my tradition, and this wisdom, uh, I think answers so many of the pressing questions of our time. Right, we're really struggling right now to understand how do we how do we love our neighbors or how do we love the people who hate us? And I've had to figure that out through my life because I've had, there are a lot of people who have hated me or at least they think they hate me based on their assumptions. And Sikh philosophy has given some answers to those questions, and and that's the the framework that i think is universally applicable to everyone both practical and simple and different from all of the answers that we have around us today
0: what would you say to a christian or a muslim or a jew who are listening to this and saying well it's all very well but our religion has these principles i've got nothing to learn from this guy
1: yeah, I mean, I, I this is this has been part of my experience too. Um, I, I think many of these traditions have these same principles, and even philosophies outside of religion. So, what I'm trying to offer here is not particular to a religious practice or to a religious community. I mean, the the Sikh Gurus always said that no one has an exclu- exclusive claim over God, and to me, that means no no one has exclusive claim to happiness. And so, what I'm what I'm trying to lay out here is not so much a formula uh, that is trying to impose or at least, or even to suggest to people you have to do it my way and then you'll find answers. Uh, it's more uh, a framework uh, based on what I've learned and experienced that's brought happiness into my own life. And so, you know, if someone says my own tradition has this, then that's, that's great if they've been able to find that in their own way. And uh, if people say, I- I've been looking for something like that, then That's great too. I mean, I'm I'm happy to share this, and so to whoever it's helpful, uh, that's that's really the goal of this book.
0: We, you know, you're in the business of disrupting bias, building empathy, seeking wisdom. The empathy piece is particularly interesting. We've done so many shows on empathy. We did one a couple of weeks ago with Ed Yong, who writes for The Atlantic, has a really interesting best-selling new book out, An Immense World, which requires us to rethink ourselves as a species in terms of understanding animal senses is is there something in Sikhism that helps us as a species particularly in the context of our environmental crisis our destruction of nature and other species
1: yeah you know I I would really go to the foundational teaching of Sikh philosophy which is this idea of interconnectedness and and to your point earlier other traditions have this too right in Buddhism we might call it interdependence Um, in Islam We might call it tawhid, right? The oneness, the oneness that binds us all together. But I think in so many of our conversations today, uh, this feels to me like a critical starting point because right now our starting point is is on, on the basis of difference as we're talking about our identities and what divides us or at least what makes us distinct. We're so focused on our identities, constantly talking about, you know, I am this race or I'm this religion or I'm this gender or this sexual orientation. And to me, that's fine, but the starting point is different, right? The starting point is to recognize the oneness. And then once you can do that, these aspects of our identity are no longer uh, divisive or elements for us to fear, uh, but expressions of, of our own individuality that are then beautiful and to be celebrated.
0: Well, that's good stuff. Uh, I would encourage everyone to get hold of Simran Jeet Singh's new book, The Light We Give, How Sikh Wisdom Can Transform Your Life and Make America a Better Place. Congratulations, uh, Simran, on the new book. What else would you suggest people read these days at a time of increasing division and hostility and an absence of wisdom? How are we going to get wise in addition to your new book, The Light We Give?
1: yeah well, i'm I'm a big fan of literature. and um, the kite runner is actually Khaled husseini. Uh, it's It's an older book. I read it many years ago and actually didn't remember it, but it's it's on Broadway here in New York again, uh, or at least for the first time it's on Broadway in New York. and so i'm I'm reading it again and finding it just a beautiful window into a life that I don't know and would otherwise never know. Uh, and you know, to your point about compassion and empathy, how do we cultivate that? You know I think I think literature can really, Serve that purpose, and so Khalid Hosseini's on my list right now. That's what I'm reading at this moment. Um, I'm also reading um, Kathy Park Hong, uh, Minor Feelings, uh, which I'm guessing many people have heard of. I, you know, I, I see that in some ways as a window into an experience of an East Asian woman, uh, but in many ways, I also experience that as a mirror uh, that reflects some of my own experiences. So I've really enjoyed. Uh, the sort of push and pull of that book, uh, seeing myself and seeing someone else through those stories. And the, the last book that I'm really reading, uh, I'm, I'm reading three at a time. That's sort of how I approach it in different genres. Uh, Ibu Patel has a new book called We, we Need to Build. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's funny, Simran. I was uh,
0: thinking of you. Uh, we, had, um, we, had it, we had him on the show and, and you and he actually in these books have a lot in common.
1: Yeah, I'm not surprised. I mean, I I've read his. I'm we're we're friends, and I am delighted by this new book. I've liked his other books as well, um, but this one, in many ways, uh, has is is forward thinking and and proactive. And how do we how do we build the kind of world we want to live in?
0: Yeah, I'll have to get you and Eboo on the show at another time to be an interesting conversation.
1: That'd be great. I would love that.